Well, I'm delighted to say that to joining me on the God Godcast this week is Pete Williams, who is a well-known musician who has been uh, in bands such as Dex's Midnight Runners. He is uh, a multi-talented musician. So, Pete, it's fabulous to get you on. How are you doing? Um, I'm well, thanks, Alex. And uh, that's uh, that's good of you to say all that stuff. And thanks for asking me. It's a pleasure. You, you've still got that uh, black country accent about you. Have you, have you always uh, frequented the black country? Have you ever ventured far away? Um, I, I've lived, I've travelled quite a bit, but uh, the black country, I, yeah. I mean, some might argue that I've still got my accent. I'm, I think I'm probably considered a bit posh <laughs> around these parts. But I think that's just a, just a, having to be kind of understood. I still remember the first time I heard my... Uh, First time I was interviewed on um, oh on Radio One back back in the early days of Dexys and uh, just being shocked at how broad I sounded uh, and and how people could understand me. But and I suppose I've tempered it so that you can be understood and all that. Um, now black the black, I'm from the black country and uh, I, I, I still live in a little place called Bearwood on the edge of the black country, really close to Birmingham, but. Uh, I've lived all over. I've spent time in, in Ireland and um, I, I went out to Los Angeles and stayed with Stoke Roos, the drummer who lives out there. I tried that for a few months. Um, but no, mostly, uh, and I've worked a lot in, in, in London doing rehearsals and stuff like that and lots of recording. Sheffield's a town I'm very fond of. That's where I've recorded all my albums. But uh, it's a strong piece of elastic that pulls me back to the black country. Yeah. Uh, although we are considering hopping and doing a little bit of um, me and Debbie, my wife, we're thinking about doing a bit of travelling, throwing ourselves at Europe um, if we can. Yeah. But yeah. no, I, the black countries, it's just it's a strong bond, I think. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's quite natural, isn't it? I'm I'm I grew up in Burnley, so I'm, I'm, and and I love it here, and and I'm always drawn to the north west. People often say, "Would you move away?" But I don't. I don't think I would actually. I'm very happy where where I am. Now let's get down to. Let's take a little bit of a trip down memory lane, Pete. What was what was life like growing up for you? Were you was your family musical? Were they musicians in any way? My dad was um, on my dad's side of the family. It's Welsh roots, and um, my dad was a violinist as a boy, and my uncle was a, was a pianist. My uncle Stan. Uh, and music was always around. It was a big part of uh, all around the piano, the um, and singing songs, beers on the piano, Christmas parties, any excuse for for the Williams side of the family to sing. So it was around. My brother was encouraged. With there was a piano in my house, and my brother was encouraged. My my elder brother Andrew was encouraged in that. Um, and I've got lots of memories of my dad standing over and saying, timing, timing, Andrew, timing. And he's just pretty strict. And, I, and he had lessons. And um, I was given a clarinet. My dad came back from work one day, and I think somebody at his, where he was working that gave him a clarinet, and I couldn't get on with the clarinet. When I was about 11, and I just started my secondary school, and uh, then you could have lessons. So I, I, the and get out of maths, more importantly, <laughs> for 25 minutes in those days. And uh, I'm thankful to that because I learned to read, and I still play the clarinet. I love the clarinet. 
or the misery stick or the tube of gloom as it as it's called if i get it out with the with the boys in the band they, they um but uh there was always music around yeah. and um sunday mornings were always sinatra records or shirley bassey or something like that always uh always played in our house um, I was going to ask Pete, uh, but you maybe alluded to the answer here, where you said Sunday mornings were about Shirley Bassey. Was, was there any religion in in the in, in the Pete Williams household? You know, were your parents, uh, you know, of a certain John age, were they, were they religious people? Uh, they weren't really, Alex. Um, and it wasn't. Although we went, me and my brother were packed off. We did attend uh, Sunday school for for. For about six months, but I think that was because the the chap who used to run the the uh, the Sunday school classes in the in the local um, community hall uh, where we lived lived on our street, and um, he, they'd have the Sunday school anniversary, and, and there's pictures of me in in a blazer that my mum made for me. Mum mum used to make clothes, but there was nothing. There was there was no um, you know. We weren't really a religious family, which is unusual because of the Welsh roots, I suppose, in a way. But um, not really, not really. I mean, though, there was lots of there was lots of love and uh, in our house, and Mum was raised up in the prairies of Canada as a, as a from a, until she was sixteen and moved back to the Black Country. Uh, and the, I always felt mum, mum in particular was a very spiritual kind of person and loved nature. But uh, as far as uh, any formal religious upbringing, no. you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, years years later, I, I was going out. Uh, I was going out with a, a girl, a, a girlfriend of mine, Moira from uh, Enniskillen in uh, in Northern Ireland, and we went to visit a friend of hers about 1981 in in West Belfast. And a, and a kid was running running past me, a kid about ten, and he ran past me. We were walking along the street, and he and he stopped and he said, "Are you a pretty dog?" <laughs> and uh, and I went, "I don't know, mate." <laughs> and I really didn't know. I was twenty one, yeah. pretty yeah. dog. I, I knew that was slang for Protestant. Yeah. And uh, I said, "I don't know, mate." <laughs> I said, "I think I'm Church of England." And he went, "Right, you wait there." And ran <laughs> off, and Morris said we better clear off and make ourselves scarce. And uh, well, actually, we, we went to visit a friend. But uh, and what? But um, the and funny what, thing, it, it, yeah. um, it never really, you know. It, my other half, Debbie, was brought up, was raised from Liverpool, was was raised Catholic, and had to attend mass and and did first communion and all that stuff. But not really. Not, 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 not my family. Not really. And and what what music were you listening to as a young kid, Pete? What was your kind of? Well, I was. Uh, well, music. I didn't take a great deal of notice of music. I do remember hearing the first single that was bought for me was "Voodoo Child" by uh, Jimi Hendrix, just because. And I remember, and that must have been when I was about ten, uh, when it when it came out, ten or eleven. And I just remember hearing it. It was just made such an it's such an uh, such an effect on me, such a, a mad sound. But I had that, and then it wasn't until a few years later, which kind of coincided with puberty eating me, that I took an interest. And I used to sit in there, listen to the charts on a Sunday, 
in 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 the car that we had they'd let me mum and dad had let me sit in the car and listen to the charts and that was like i mean i was a bowie nut as soon as i heard uh david bowie um it was a big fan i joined his fan club i was a bowie freak and uh he signed up to the only fan club i've ever joined and i used to get a like a a, a, a brown manila envelope with the photo in the news and stuff like that so i loved bowie I loved all the the glam stuff that was that was that was happening, uh, you know, uh, Slade and T Rex and all that stuff as you'd expect of somebody my age. Uh, yeah, it 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 kind of music kind of hit me along with puberty when I was about thirteen or fourteen, something like that. And and was your intention once you'd become a a a, a, a young musician was your intention to be in a band? Was that the goal? Yeah, um, it was really. I mean, I was. Um, I bought a, a bass guitar when I was fourteen off a kid at school, and I didn't know that you needed an amplifier. Um, I think I'd seen, or, or I did have the paperback book of "That'll Be the Day" Ray Connolly's "That'll Be the Day," which was a film with with uh, David Essex. And that, at the end of that, he buys a bass guitar from the shop. And I think, looking back, I think that influenced me. You know. There was so much in that book that I that I used to like at the time, like fairgrounds. I used to love the fair coming around and stuff like that. So I bought a guitar, and it's funny talking about touching on religion, because uh, the the my the first band that we formed there was a mate of mine, Mickey Keith, who lived on the lived on White Heath on the estate where where I'm from, and he got a, bought a guitar. He's a year older than me. He bought a guitar. I got a bass guitar at fourteen. There's a there's a friend, another friend of ours, Anthony, who got some bis literally got biscuit tins and Tupperware tubs. And if Mick, who was who was whose family were, were Irish, a lot of uh, pe- a lot of Irish people on the estate at Whitehead where I grew up, if he went, if he attended mass on a Sunday, then Father Bell would let us rehearse there on a Monday evening in the church. So and and he kind of hated going to mass, we did, but but he did it so that we could rehearse, and that was our first age of about fourteen, and we just used to goof around really, played the riff from, um, well, just yeah, from twentieth century boy or something like that, over and over again, and try twelve bar blues and get our heads around music, but format, but but that was, like I say, that was. If we went to mass, we could. The Father Bell would let us use the, the English Martyrs Catholic Church in Whiteheath, where I'm from. And and as a as a guy who who, who did his growing up in the eighties, Pete, uh, you know, I, I can only look. You know, I, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan. There's a picture, if anybody's watching, where my finger is of the guys from Depeche there. But but the early eighties, it was. Um, you know, I, I was on the move musically, you know, what I was like, and, and Madness was probably the first <laughs> band as, as a 10, 11-year-old kid that, that caught my eye. And then and then Dexys came along, and I remember being absolutely infused by this band that was similar to Madness in, in many ways. It was a large group of guys and ladies, um, but I couldn't pigeonhole Dexys. What what was it about Dexys? Just perhaps share us how you became part of that setup, Pete. But 
but actually about the creation of the music because it, it was a bit like Scar, but it was a bit folky and I just couldn't pigeonhole it. I still can't pigeonhole it really. So if you're happy to just share a bit about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, oh, where to start? I mean, um, punk rock happened. I think the thing with, with Dex's, the, uh, Dex's Midnight Runners, the, the, uh, was there were a group of us, kind of mostly in the rhythm section, that came out of punk rock. You know, I saw the Sex Pistols in 1977. Me and Kevin Archer, who formed the, who was, who was at school with me. He was in the year above me at school, um, and that that was a massive influence on us. We instantly formed a punk band called the Negatives, a power trio, playing stuff 100 miles an hour, and uh, uh, recorded a, a, a demo in Birmingham. Kevin Rowland was in a band called the Killjoys at the time that we were aware of. We used to go to a club called Barbarella's and see that. And um, anyway, Kevin Archer, my friend, left the Negatives to join the Killjoys. I was happy for him. I got a tour. He was a mate of mine. I was I was genuinely pleased for him, even though the Negatives were no more. But it was the, if you pardon the French, it was the arse end of punk rock, really. Um, we could, you know, and the, and the, and the time was right, right for something, something else to start. So I think the thing with with Dexys Midnight Runners was there was an element of the urgency and the kind of rough edges of punk rock, especially in the rhythm section. That is the the and the, the vocalist Kevin came out of the Killjoys, and so we got that urgency. But we'd also got young guys that in the brass section who were more classically trained, let's put it that way. And we just, and it was decided, you know, this is, this is Kevin's idea, really. We were looking, the, the Killjoys were looking for a direction to go into. <coughs> the Killjoys split up. Um, and I was asked to, by Kevin Archer and Kevin Rowland if I wanted to be part of it. And I went along and played. And, and the idea, the, the idea was we're going to we're going to do something that's based on nineteen in the sixties soul, so we're going to immerse ourselves in Atlantic soul, Stax records, all of that, all the classic soul. Just immerse ourselves in that, but write uh, and write you know about contemporary themes and stuff like that, and, and appeal to a contemporary audience. So it's the marrying of that kind of, and uh, you know, I think that the first album especially retains that kind of urgency. Pretty, and it, and it's also the way that we heard things. You know, we like the B side of Gino was a song called "Breaking Down the Walls of Heartache." And I remember me and Kev Archer going round to the a pub in Blackheath, the the where it was on the jukebox with the, with our guitars, with heads against the the jukebox, picking out what the the notes and working out the chords. And, and and when I listen to some of those it's, it's, it's the recordings of of the couple of cover versions, another one at point in case is break is um, seven days is too long. The bass line and the even the chord structure is, is quite quite different from uh, from what's on the record. We weren't trying to copy it, and it's the way that we heard it in a way. And I, and if I did that now, I'd do it differently now that I've played for years and years. But it was. It was how we kind of heard things and interpreted things. I think that's what gave it its kind of 
uniqueness or its otherness. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, with madness, there was it was such a there was so much such a variety. You know, we knew madness, and and there were similarities. We used to bunk the trains like they did the tube, jump over the barriers, get everywhere. That was, and I remember speaking to uh, Sugsy at the music machine about that. Um, but uh, yeah, exciting times. And also, I mean, the first tour that Dexys Midnight Runners did was the first two-town tour. Madness did the first half, and we picked it up at the top of. Um, we picked it up in Carlisle and came down the down the uh, west coast along the bottom and, and finished in London because Madness halfway through went to New York because they were signed to Stiff Records. Anyway, it's, so and that was like that was a very steep learning curve for us as a band to go in front of these massive audiences the specials were very good to us and it's a funny thing that you i don't know whether you know but i i, I was asked by the specials that, which turned out to be the last tour that i did with, with um with terry in 2021 we did 21 dates with me and my band as special guests which was weird because that was the first tour that i did as a 19 year old and then in 2021 i was invited to do special guests on that which was very generous of them to do yeah that must have been extraordinarily extraordinarily poignant for you particularly mm. as, as terry died not long not long afterwards that's right yeah when, when did you when did you feel that the uh the band were heading in a in an upward trajectory was there immediate interest in you as a band or, or no we slugged kind of... away i mean you have to remember i mean gino was number one in 1980 the band was formed in the summer of 1978 and we were we worked really hard we managed to get like a, a bi-monthly -month, or bi-monthly residency in birmingham at a, at a place called the imperial hotel uh and uh and then a buzz started to happen it's there that i kind of remember there's more people there's more people that I, and then it became packed and that's where Jerry Dammers and um, and Horace Panther came to see us and uh, took an interest and what and kind of said, "Do you want to be on the two? They just formed the label, the two tone label through Chrysalis Records, and um, they offered us. They said, "Why don't you release something on our label?" But we didn't want to us being us. We didn't want to be part of any kind of scene. We we uh, we. For right or wrong, we kept ourselves very uh, singular and away from from the rest of any kind of scene, really. Uh, yeah. And 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 did you enjoy the success, Pete, or was it was it troublesome? Well, you know, uh, there's a large group of people in that band. You know, um, did it take much for, for disagreement to happen? You well, one of the skills that you have to learn as a musician, and it was like just eight blokes and a driver and a, and a tour manager in minibuses. Touring was intense, you know, um, long tours that we did and, and spent a lot of time in each other's pockets. One of the skills that you learn um, is, is knowing when to sit on your hands and bite your lip and not, because it can get very heated. <laughs> Would be a lot of young young guys and a lot of egos in the in the van and just just attitude just you know I was 
like 1920 and all that stuff. But um, now it was... Uh, the thing that I that I valued the most really was travel. I loved going seeing new cities. I loved going into Europe. We went to New York when we were all mates and all close. And New York was really exciting then. It was like it was it was like walking onto the set of Kojak, and it was dangerous and exciting and thrilling. Um, I remember Ray Winston. Was at, was at the same hotel as us because they just had an American release for Scum, his film, and he was out there promoting that. And he was, um, I remember speaking to him. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was that was the main thing. The, the fame, I mean, some of the pops was really thrilling doing that because we, I'd grown up with it. Did Magpie, Tizvaz, all that, all that stuff. And that was always, um, you know, I mean, Top of the Pops is a long old day, and that, and they they really treated the people like cattle when they finally let the let the people let the kids in. I remember seeing a uh, one sweeping shot, shot. I think it was Simon Bates was the host, and there was a like a, a camera on a crane, and the cable uh, was uh, was on the floor of the uh, of the studio one broadcasting house. And uh, there's this shot up to Simon Banks, hey folks, and all that kind of stuff. And the cable just flips up about 60 people, you know, just took the feet from under them. And and uh, and they were just like, right, get up again. Sorry, Lawrence, we go again, go go floor, <laughs> and all that stuff. But uh, I really, uh, yeah, they were kind of herded in. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, um, it was thrilling, you know. Um, and what was Pete? What was the what was the demise of the band? And what was your reason for walking away? I've, I've interviewed quite a few guys from bands, and and uh, Rick Witter from Shed Seven, you know, just basically said it just fell apart, really, and 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 it was a natural end. What what was the case for you? Well, it was um, part of it is um, is exhaustion, really. It was. It wasn't just me that left. It was five of us that left in Zurich at the right at the, at the end of nineteen eighty, uh, following a, a a decision a decision that we didn't really agree with. It, it, it of a of a single that didn't do anything. Um, didn't uh, wasn't. I don't know whether it was broadcast. It didn't sell any. That was already recorded in in Berlin, I think. While we were on tour, uh, but I mean, looking back on it, it's, it was kind of exhaustion. You know, we were worked really hard, and and uh, at the end of uh, there was no kind of falling out as such, but there was just a feeling of um, that we just needed a break. I think I think everybody just needed a break, um, and. Oh, it's so long ago, you know, Alex. And uh, and each time I tell it, it's 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 really hard to dredge up. Yeah. Um, what a bit, but you've but there's been this. Um, you know, I'm I'm asking because I know there are fans of the bands. What's the situation now, Pete? Because and Kevin's been around, hasn't he, doing stuff in in recent times. Mm -hmm. 
And I watched um I watched a clip this morning of the Jules Holland Hootenary, I think it was 2012, where you look uh, like you look like you're having the time of your lives. It looked like it was great fun to be back. What what's the relationship like now, Pete? Are, are you are you happy to be away from it or? Well, I'm I'm I mean I I left after we played Glastonbury in 2014. We worked really hard. We made an album. I played bass and and live. I was co-frontman and and then with an album called One Day I'm Going to Saw that we worked really hard on. Uh, and I'm proud of all the stuff that we did with that. And some of the shows were great. And it was great fun. It was great fun. Um, and travel again we did an australian tour it was it was it was it was great it was great to be working with kevin again when he asked me uh he contacted me and asked me whether i'd be a part of it originally in 2003 when we worked together on that and, and worked on a show um not as a bassist as a co-front man um no that was great um we did some really good work and and he's got an album out now and I wish him well with that and I know a couple of the guys that he's working with. Um, but I left in 2012 um, because to to finish my the album I was working on and to work on myself, I've got three albums out that I'm very proud of. Mm. Um, I've got one that's pretty near complete at the moment. Um and uh, you know, it was uh, it was good. There was no that first incarnation was very confusing. We were all exhausted. The manager at the time was playing one faction against another. It's, I say faction; it wasn't a faction. We knew that. I've seen people say stuff about that that, that we we were going to carry on without Kevin as Dex's midnight runners. Well, that's nonsense. We knew that Kevin had the name registered. And uh, and we we got no intention of doing that, but but the band split. It, it was, you know, Kevin was talking about stuff like okay, the brass section need to learn fiddles or learn strings and stuff like that, and that would and that, that didn't sit comfortably with them, um, and it was just like well, that's the end, you know. It's it's kind of it's it's the end of this band, and uh, it's just so well, what we're we gonna do, you know, uh, well. I wanted to. We, me, I became very close to. to still, am close to Stoke of the drummer, and we thought we, we we made a really strong rhythm section. We played so much together. We knew that we wanted to carry on, and you know, five of us ended ended splitting up in Zurich. The two Kevin's flew out of Zurich to do a, a radio interview in in Luxembourg. We drove back through Europe and uh, to London. EMI didn't want anything to do with us. They decided to go with with the name Dexamine Honours, which I completely understand, but they wouldn't let us in the building. So we came back, five of us came back to the UK and formed what became a band called The Bureau. When we were making our album, to bear off the path a little bit, we shared studio time with Depeche Mode. Really? The, the studio that became the PWL uh, home of uh, Stock Aiken and Waterman yeah. in Borough. And we used to, so they'd finish during the day and we'd pick up at night and, and alternate. And we'd uh, quite often we'd see them in the Chinese restaurant or, or they, they'd be getting a takeaway while we were just finishing or stuff like that. But they were, they were good guys and, uh, you know, really exciting times. Yeah. Um, I veered off there, sorry, Alex. and oh, yeah. the, But, but no, the, that, that first incarnation of Dexys was we were all young, 
It was we were being played against each other. We were exhausted. You know, I mean, we came back with the bureau with with five of us from Dex's, Mick and and uh, Jeff and Steve, me and Stoker. Then we auditioned for a singer. We knew that we wanted to be more more filmic, more just kind of more towards jazz in a way, but more cinematic is what we wanted, what we were aiming for. We listened to lots of soundtrack albums influenced by Lalo Schifrin and uh, Jimmy Smith and people like that. Um, and you, we had were, of, you had a bit of success, didn't you? But not in the UK. It seems that you was kind of overseas that the Bureau was received. Well. Ain't that just insane? I mean, that was like we had a, a sizable advance uh, from Warners and sold our publishing to Ireland. And it was like, this is, and we got a great single. The band was, was sounding great. Um, and uh, then the record company didn't release the album in the UK. So it was it was crazy. It was, but but it was released in Southern Ireland. It, it did it did top five in Canada, New Zealand, Australia. Um, it's the weirdest thing. I, I remember I remember seeing Mickey Virtue out of the keyboard player out of UB40 after they did their first Australian tour, and he came back and I bumped into him in town, and he went, "Mate, you couldn't get away from that bloody only for sheep. That was on everywhere." That was uh, the video being played in the bars and all that kind of stuff, but not released over here. And the video was 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 quite a you know that was filmed on thirty five millimeter. It was the guy who just done a. Uh, it was directed by the guy who just uh, done Babylon, a film about the British reggae scene that was out at the time. Keith Allen helped us a lot with that one. He's the guy in the sheep's mask. If for those that are that's Keith Allen under the mask driving a car. Um, and our dear friend Mike Lay, who's a photographer, he helped a lot, a lot with that. But yeah, that was a that was a slog. I mean, we were the bureau were pretty well known throughout Europe, where the rec and where the record was released. But it's quite strange that um to, that that it it wouldn't release over here. And and Pete, now you've um you, you like you say you've got these you've got three albums under your belt, and you've got one sounds like you've got one on the on the. You know, in the works. What yeah. what's life like outside of that kind of Dex's bubble? Uh, you know, I, I one of my an artist, I don't know if you're familiar with the work, is a lady called Lone Lady who's based in Manchester and and she's a fabulous artist, but she, you know, but she talks about the struggles as well. You know, it's not easy. You know, no. uh, record labels aren't gonna sell uh, vinyl in, in the quantities that they would in in the eighties. So even for an established gentleman like yourself, Pete, who's been in the business for a long time, can you just tell us what it's like actually starting starting out fresh and producing new music? Well, it's um, what's the lady's name from Manchester? Lone Lone Lady. Oh, I'll look into that, Alex. Yeah, um, fabulous. Okay, um, yeah, it's not easy. Like everything, I mean. Um, it's it took a battering from lockdown and all that. Obviously, Bre Brexit didn't help for for reaching out into Europe. I know lots of people who work as crew or front of house or lighting that that's you know it's it's really um, damaged their their 
money making potential or you know make a living um I'm not going to just sit here and bellyache, but it's not easy. I mean, I've got three albums out and I've self-financed them. They're on my label. I've got no management. I haven't got an agent, even though wherever I play, I win audiences. And and I can, and we, we played the, um, the new performance space at the Symphony Hall recently and sold that out. It's, it's, it's difficult, you know, and I mean, there's the people... A lot of people don't expect to pay for music anymore. I mean, I, I, I've just done 21 dates with Simon and Oscar. They asked me, their manager contacted me, uh, of Ocean Colour Scene. They've just done a tour of lovely theatres, a stripped back, um, semi-acoustic, builders an evening with. And that is, so it's, that's been me and Andy, my guitarist, have been going out, playing these 650 capacity venues, theatres that that and and it's you know it's a 50 minute set it's kind of like it's almost like a shared billing thing build a special guest but I get 50 minutes it's not just half an hour support and, and gone so so that way you can build a set and you can engage with people and pull them in and they get to see more of you I can tell more of my stories bring it down not just hit them hit them hard for half an hour enough that they get it and it's like, so what we do is, you know, put, I put petrol in the car, we pick Andy up, equipment in the back, we go up to the lakes or go down south or go wherever we went, Sage or Gateshead, and you do your stuff and you hope that people are going to turn on to what you do and hope that they're going to go out feeling better about themselves than, than, than when they walked in and buy some vinyl and buy some, uh, buy, buy CD or buy some vinyl. And, um, that is 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 a direct way of uh, of dealing with people. I mean, you know, there's Bandcamp, there's there's other ways, there's other streaming platforms and podcasts like you're doing, and uh, Patreon and that kind of stuff. But it's it's um it's not easy. Uh, it's really hard, you know. I mean, I'm doing the next thing, the next live show that I'm doing is on the 14th of September at um Serbian Orthodox Chapel. In in Soho Square, the House of Saint Barnabas, it's called. I've and been you've got to be I've invited. There, Pete. I, I've actually been I, there. How I was, are you, Alex? I, I was I've there. Great early, things about it. Well, I don't get to London very often, but I was there, and and, and a, a long lost relative of mine said, "You need to meet me in Barnabas Square. I'm going to show you this amazing place." And lo and behold, she did. And when I saw that you were playing it, I thought, "Well, I've got to ask Pete about this because this is a it's an amazing little venue, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful." I've, I've, it's been recommended. My my uh, my bass player Lawrence is a member there, right? And he told me about it. He told me that they do a lot of really good work for for retraining people that've been on the streets. Yeah, it's a it's a ch charity that you know. So I would, I was happy to do that. I mean, I I've done stuff for shelter and crisis as well, and and I think and that's up to you as well, Alex, for what you do. I, I'm, had a bit of a dig, and, and I know that you do really good work. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that's the next. That's the next. That's on the fourteenth of September. It's only a small, and I've not been there. My, I, I know of the building, but I've not been in. It's and it was recommended, and 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 they they asked, they invited me to play there. Um, but it's uh, so I, I'm pleased to be be doing that one in in such a such such good things about the venue. Um, but but generally, you know, it's it's um, it's 
it's making like with the with the ocean colour scene too, and the same with the specials. There's four of us in a band. There's there's over there's overnight stays. You can't you know there's a uh, petrol to be, minibuses to be hired. It's all that. Um, but it's it's what I love. It's you know there's very few things that I still feel. Well, that was good. I was of some use here. I know that. I know that. You know, people have gone out feeling good about themselves, and I got through. I've got stuff off my chest. I'm singing about things that hopefully people can relate to, and you know, and I, and I feel useful. There ain't much, yeah. but but and it feels, and it still feels. You know, like you say, I've been doing this a long time. But if if for a moment, if for one second, I felt ridiculous or insincere or you know phony in any way while i was doing what i was doing i'd stop but thankfully touch wood thankfully that hasn't come to me yet and i still really enjoy crafting music working with musicians and doing it it's just pulling one out the other end that's the difficult bit yeah do you know pete i've, I've absolutely loved talking to you i could talk to you all after i could talk to you for hours but but uh Try we're we're about fifteen minutes over already, but but I love talking music and and um you know it, it's been nostalgic for me to talk to you, but it's been fascinating as well. And um so the tickets available still available for the gig in, in Soho Square. If you if you if you Google House of Saint Barnabas events or look at they've got a Facebook page, they've got a Twitter page. There's a few tickets left, I think. It's a 75 capacity room. I've got to speak to them this afternoon. I think we're going to coordinate to push across social medias in the in the two weeks coming up to the show. I know that there's uh, people have contacted me and have already got tickets, but it's it should be good. It's it's um, it's yeah, it's it's me and my band. Uh, we're doing it four handed. It's slightly stripped back. The full band is six people. We're doing it four handed for this one because it's it's, it's a small space. And the same as if, for those that saw us with the specials, that's how we did with the specials. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it should be good. It's a selection of stuff out from my my albums and, and you know, yeah, it's, it'll be great. Well, Pete, Pete thanks so, so much for coming on. Check out, Pete's got a website. You'll find him on social media. Check out the new music. Don't just live in the past because the Dexy stuff is great, but... I've been I've been listening to a lot of your stuff this week, Pete, and it's it's good stuff. You don't need me to tell you that it's good stuff, and I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, thanks, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much. That's no problem. All the best, mate.